It was while I was at that company that I really didn't like that I had my kid. So I have other things and I suppose that's the trick too, right? Well, a $20 dinner out, you know, on top of that and okay, $100, I'll get drinks for people at the bar. And next thing I knew, I had probably like $10,000, you know, of credit card debt um, without a means to pay it off. I really am a firm believer in this, that you cannot have it all at once. All right, Jesse, welcome to Money Bites. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. As you know, Winnie is a community and platform for women in tech empowering to prove our wealth together. So our resonant first question, give us a quick one-liner of yourself and a trivia that people don't know about you. So I would say one-liner about me, I am a marketer who works at the intersection of media and technology and I am a mother and I live in Brooklyn. I did a lot of um, ands there to get it all into one sentence. You don't sleep. (laughs) Oh, and I am in school right now. So yes, I don't sleep. And then I think a fun trivia fact about me that people don't know, well, it might not be fun, but it's a trivia fact, is that I always wanted to write a book. Is it in the plan on top of going to school and having a full-time job? I have a lot of plans for when school runs up, I think I'll feel like I have a lot more time in my life. So maybe love it. I also have aspirations to write a children's book that's always been in the back of my mind. We should be accountability buddies for each other. Yes, I would love that for sure. Our second resident question, what was your first memory of money? I used to work Uh, when I was in high school at a Carvel ice cream shop. I believe Carvel was regional. And so not everybody might know Carvel, but it is a chain known for their ice cream cakes and characters who I don't remember. And so in high school, when I was probably a junior, I started working there. And the concept of if I work X number of hours, you know, I can save up for Y pair of shorts at the mall uh, or whatever I was in the market And so the concept of earning and then being able to say like, this is my money and I'm spending it how I want was really powerful. Super interesting. As that concept sort of bleeded as you went into your first role, first job? Well, I guess your ice cream adventure was also a job, but your first um, sort of full-time job. Yeah. And I mean, I had other part-time jobs, of course, before that too. I would say yes. And I would say less than it bleeding into the job per se, it it still persists in how I look at money uh, and perhaps not in, maybe it doesn't manifest in the best way, admittedly. But for instance, um, I'm married and I've kept my finances separate from my husband, not because we have any distrust or any uh, idea that we might not be together forever, but I really like to see in my bank account how much I have earned. And that's like really important to me just psychologically for whatever reason. Um, you know, just yesterday I have a finance spreadsheet where all of my various accounts are listed. And, you know, every couple of months I kind of check to see the progress. And right now some of my accounts are, to tell the truth, dipping because I'm spending on school more mm-hmm. than I was a year ago. Uh, but overall, kind of seeing the growth and changes. And to me, I love that. Uh, and if I was combining money, it wouldn't feel as much like I had earned it. And so that uh, that definitely still persists. I love that you have a personal finance tracker spreadsheet. 
<laughs> do you combine your expenses or is that also separate? So we definitely, you know, split expenses, but not in a way. I think every couple does it differently. And I think there's no right or wrong way to do it. Uh, we've just kind of fallen into, I'm the one who found our nanny and I do most of the dealings with our nanny. I pay our nanny. He pays our mortgage. And so we kind of just pay different things, but we have no concept, I think, of who's paying more or less at any given time. We just have split it up that way. And if ever there were a month where, because I'm paying school expenses, my bank account maybe has less free flowing cash in it, I would say, you know, honey, you got our nanny this month, et cetera. It's kind of just uh, evolving. It sounds you continue to have a very healthy discussion about money with your spouse. Yeah. I would say one area that's very fresh because we were disagreeing about this just yesterday was <laughs> around sourcing help for money. And I've shared with you before, I definitely, you know, I'm at a point where I feel comfortable with, with my finances and my kind of stability and our nest egg, so to speak. But I don't know a lot about what I don't know. And so I've I've thought, you know, maybe it's time to bring in a third party financial advisor. One example of where I could personally use help is I have a uh, part of my compensation is stocks. Mm-hmm. I've worked at the company that I'm at for six years plus, and I've never sold a stock. And that feels, I assume that is a bad move. And I don't know enough to make a decision around that. And so for things like that, I would love a third party to say, yeah, you know, you should sell your stocks as soon as you get them, or you should sit on them, or you could have a mix, or perhaps you have all this excess cash and savings right now, it could earn more with an investment property. And that's where my limitation of money uh, stops is kind of the out of the box thinking. And my husband's very savvy with finances, but doesn't necessarily have the time to invest in Hmm. these discussions and dialogue. And so, but he does not want to bring in a third party. Uh, He feels very strongly about that. So in that area, we we disagree. Interesting. Do you feel comfortable with your investments? So I feel comfortable in that they are with steady and stable, very, you know, standard, like fidelity, like the kind of businesses like that. I've got, you know, some money with, with Goldman Sachs. But again, my knowledge stops at the point that would allow me to take more control over it. So I don't, you know, we've chosen kind of like non-risky spaces to invest in, but I'm not, uh, you know, spring chicken, but I feel like I'm young enough to be maybe doing some more risky things with it, or again, out of the box things with it, like investing in physical property uh, and kind of diversifying. And I don't know enough to make those decisions. I'd love for you to join our Winnie community for one, but I would love that. I, I, I'd also love to share maybe just a few rules of thumbs to start the discussion in your head. It looks like you already have them going on based on the topics that you mentioned. But the first is in your overall portfolio, the percentage, any single stock, you might want to stay below 10 to 15%. Some say even below 5%. So that's one. The second is the pros and cons of keeping your RSUs and equities is sort of, I really believe in this company um, and I'm going to go, you know, all the way to the moon with it versus the other sort of school of thought is if I were to receive my equities as a cash bonus, what would I do with it? Would you would you go and buy your company stocks or would you invest it in sort of the allocations you have in your current portfolio? 
So that might be another sort of mental benchmark. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's a it's a great tip. I used to work at Yahoo mm-hmm. and I sat on my stocks there and I didn't work there long enough to receive a ton of stocks, but the ones I did, I'm like, I don't gamble as a rule because if I did, like I'm the type of person where when I play a slot machine, I'm like, if I just keep playing, you know, <laughs> next thing I know I've lost $500 at the slot machine. And I'm the same way, like with my Yahoo stock, I was like, well, if I just wait a little longer, there's going to be a sale. It'll go up and it just <laughs> and tanked and tanked and tanked. And then finally I took it out at, you know, pennies because Yahoo. Lessons learned, lessons learned. Was not always the case that even for your investments or your money in general, that you had this state of stability. So if we go way back, you started out in liberal arts college. So I studied English. I was an English major. Yeah, I did not come out of school. I went to Wesleyan, which is a wonderful school, but very, very liberal on the liberal arts scale. And I didn't leave there with a degree where it was obvious what I was going to do with it or how I was going to earn money. Um, I didn't even really know for sure what I wanted to do when I left college. Unlike, you know, I see people in school who are young today who are so sure and really uh, learning on a track that's going to get them there. I feel you. I feel you. I, in my current sort of late 30, early 40s, don't still have the confidence of what I want to do with my life. So sometimes it's it's been um, an eye-opener seeing the, I don't want to say younger generation, but for a lack of a better word. But yeah, so you you graduated. Yeah. And I I think after school, I was interning for a bit because I couldn't find, you know, a full-time job and what I wanted. Uh, and then I, you know, I did go back and live with my mother um, in, you know, the home where I'd grown up. And I recognized that kind of like my after school path was, you know, a very lucky and privileged one. You know, I had a home I could go stay in rent-free and I could afford to have a no or a low-paid internship. Uh, and not everybody does for sure. But despite the fact that I, you know, had this privilege, I still opened up a credit card, which I went into minor debt on. And that amount of debt today is, you know, like the equivalent of one semester's worth of school payment. And it would no longer seem like that tremendous of a burden. But at the time, it was really, you know, pretty devastating for me. I think I think it had started where, and this is probably how it starts for a lot of people, like I bought one big item. I want to say I bought a laptop, which is a practical purchase, right? But if a laptop, let's say back then was like $1,000, that's big enough where I thought to myself, and again, I tend to like let myself snowball with things. Well, a $20 dinner out, you know, on top of that, and okay, $100, I'll get drinks for people at the bar. And next thing I knew, I had probably like $10,000, you know, of credit card debt um, without a means to pay it off. And so, yeah, that was, that was like my early spending. And I moved shortly thereafter to Los Angeles. And whilst I was living there, uh, I found myself freelancing for a long time. And when freelancing, I did not have a steady income. I was doing well, but there were definitely times when my bank account was, you know, literally at zero and I had literally zero cash in my, in my wallet. So it is not always felt stable. And um, again, like, you know, I have the stability and privilege of, of having parents where if I ever like really needed, uh, you know, support, I was not going to find myself out in the street. And for that, I consider myself very lucky but I also have a lot of pride 
And so never went to my parents, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if I was in these situations. So it, it felt to young me as a very like low and devastating place to be. It's huge stress factor when you're living paycheck to paycheck. And I think I probably started out, you know, like low, low, like I was earning and that probably felt good. And then I started to, you know, spend on the credit card and then I moved to Los Angeles. And here I was with a big zero in my wallet. I think I might've shared with you the story where I was trying to go out to lunch with a friend one day in Los Angeles when I was freelancing and realized I had no money in my cash. And I had had like a thing of coins and had to collect all the coins (laughs) I had to go to the bank to change it out for, you know, cash to be able to go to lunch. So I think from that point, I kind of learned my lesson and started to save more. And yeah, went back up from there. But it was probably a slow, it probably wasn't as quick of an escalation as a, as the line on the graph might appear. So this is your net worth lesson learned. Definitely. How are you emotionally? Were you enjoying your time as a freelancer? It, it sounds like you were trying a lot of different things, a lot of different yeah. adventures. I loved it, except mm-hmm. for the stress of not having money. And, and also, and I think this is a good life lesson too, is, you know, to know yourself, like a lot of people when they're freelancing or work for themselves, you know, it's, I'm going to go backpacking here. I'm going to go on vacation here because I have this flexibility. But for me, I was always so stressed about finding the next thing. And well, if I, if I book a one week trip away and a gig comes for that week and I'm not there to accept it, I'm never going to you know hear from that employer again. And so I had this kind of constant anxiety around it. So I wasn't able to fully enjoy the flexibility, but I loved the period of time. The flexibility that I did get to enjoy was getting up early, you know, getting on the laptop, looking for jobs, working and then going to a noon yoga class mm. um, or going out to lunch when I could find enough change to to scrounge together. And that aspect of my life, I still look back to, and it's now 15 plus years later with like a huge fondness, just the being able to like enjoy your day and like enjoy daylight and daytime. And I was living in LA and I would go hiking and that type of flexibility that you make of your workday, I've not experienced since. And I I really loved it. I love the concept of earning for myself and really thinking, really being able to like look at what I've accomplished and say like, I did that. And as a freelancer, every step from finding the work to invoice after to sometimes chasing invoices, but it was all on me. And mm-hmm. so I could really look at when I did have accomplishments as being all my own. And, you know, it was a, a big sense of pride around that. I love that. So would you say if we were to add in another graph that at least life-wise, it was more on the positive note? I would a hundred percent say that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes when you, when you look back at, uh, at memories and your past, it's like, sometimes the memories are like a little skewed, uh, like rose colored glasses, as they say. So would I have been like this, you know, effusive about my experience at the time? I'm not sure. But looking back, I would say it was definitely a high point of, you know, just professional and personal life. Love that. But there comes a point where you switched from being a freelancer to going into corp. What was sort of the impetus for that? It was really fortuitous and and like kind of happened to me. I had started to apply for jobs and I was still in LA and I'm from New York. And I don't think I knew I was ready to move back because I also kind of like live life with, you know, like what if and FOMO and all that. And I didn't think I was done with LA, but through my freelance, I got a contract job back in New York uh, for five months or six months to work at Spotify, which was 
brand new in the United States. It had, you know, been successful in Sweden and was just launching here. It was basically startup size and startup culture within the US. And so I came back to New York and to this longer contract job as a freelancer, essentially. And then whilst I was back here in New York and at that job, they offered me to stay on full time. So I packed up my bags and packed up my freelance, you know, life and went back into full time. And from there, you know, also kind of entered this, this space within tech and media. Um, I had not been in tech before. So, so yeah, that was a big period of transition uh, coming back here. Were there any culture shock? I wouldn't say that. I think more so when I went from Spotify to my next job, which was at Yahoo. I wouldn't say it was shock, but it was a little bit of surprise because I, at Spotify, Back then, you know, this was, I'm really bad with years, but it was about 10 or 11 years ago. Again, it was new. There were problems, I would say, in terms of, you know, executive team and not everything was rosy. However, it was a space where you could really do anything. You had very young people who were very excited about what they were doing, had big ideas. There was money to support it. And, you know, I was working with and for people who were just kind of driven to do awesome, new, cool things. And then going to Yahoo!, which had, I think, celebrated its 15th year in my in my time there. So it was, you know, middle-aged by tech company standards. And more importantly, it was behaving as like a middle-aged company. Mm-hmm. And I just found, you know, people who'd been there longer and maybe didn't have like the enthusiasm and, and drive to try new things, um, burst through glass ceilings of type of, you know, like work. And, and it was just, it was a very different culture with a more corporate and, and safe executive team. It's interesting because as a company matures, we call it growing pains. All startups need to go through it at one point or another. Keeping that startup hungry mentality is hard. Yes. Very. And whilst growing pains has a negative connotation, I would argue that when companies stop trying to grow and, mm-hmm. you know, stop having those growing pains, it's it's like not a good sign. Was that one of the reasons why you switched to the next opportunity? So I left Yahoo. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, I, I made such good friends there. And and it's funny because like out of all the companies I've worked, that's probably where I have the, the most volume of friends that I'm still in touch with. So in a way, I really got a lot out of my time there. But again, culturally, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing. I wanted, I wanted change for sure. And, you know, I would say the next opportunity too, I've, I've continued, I think, through my career to like fall into opportunities or to have them, I kind of say like they happened to me and a recruiter reached out about the next opportunity. And I've not declined a lot of jobs in my life. And that is one where I declined. I just, you know, had this feeling like this is not for me. And they reached out again and they were persistent and I should have stuck to my gut because I think that's so important, but yet, you know, flattery, as they say, like, we'll get people everywhere. And I was like, well, they really want me. Maybe it must be a fit. It must be like a great opportunity if they want me this badly. But, you know, my gut proved right. And it was not, uh, it was not the best opportunity for me. It was an ad tech company and I still work uh, and I have worked before then within the advertising uh, industry, you know, within within tech, but ad tech itself, like being the core of what that business did, I just couldn't get into it. And I do have a bit of a blocker uh, where like, if something is not interesting to me, I can't learn it. Like I mm-hmm. could read a book or a, you know, an essay or a whatever 
30 times and it just doesn't absorb. And as an older adult, I've realized I have ADHD and it's actually diagnosable. But like, regardless, if something is not interesting to me, like I have a very hard time hooking in. And I probably left that company a year and a half later, which is how long I was there, not really (laughs) being able to explain what the company did still. And I'm in marketing. So as a marketer, you should be able to explain what your company Mm -hmm. does. How often are you sort of moving from companies to roles? And is that intentional? So I had before I, uh, you know, I'm currently at Meta. And before I was here, the longest I was ever at a company was two and a half years. I, I looked and realized that at a point and it was twice I'd been at a company two and a half years. One of those times I'd been in two different jobs. Like I started with one part of the business, it closed, they moved me to another. So it was like having two jobs. Spotify was almost two and a half years, but that included my contract period. So, and it was intentional. I was always like, I've always been like looking for the next thing. Like, again, like I kind of, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I get bored, but um, once I've done something once or twice, I'm like, well, I can do this in my sleep. Like what's next? Um, and I also constantly kind of like mm. opportunities, you know, to, to move up and expand um, title and dream it. And so it has been intentional, the moving around. But now I've been with my current employer for six plus years. And that shocked me. When I started, I never thought I would make it past a couple of years. But about a year ago, I looked at my time here and I realized it's because I've kept switching jobs no more than every two and a half years. So even within the six years at Meta, I'm now in, well, my new job has changed, you know, on me a couple of times but I'm probably in like my, my fourth or fifth role. Are you changing roles as in what you do? Yeah. So, uh, so a little bit of both. I mean, like when I've changed historically from company to company, I was, I I started out or I ended up and stayed for a long time in event and experiential marketing. And so when I was looking for new jobs, it was within that field. And then since I've been at my current employer, I've changed functions as well. So always within marketing, but I'm actually changing what I do. Uh, I went from event marketing, which is how I started here, to small business marketing. I went from small business marketing to working on a new part of the business uh, with education and immersive learning. And now, even in the last few months, I've gone from you know, being uh, an individual contributor, as we call it, uh, at Meta and within tech to being a people manager. And so the function and the the products and the actual job does keep changing recently. I find this fascinating because I've had points in my career where I felt stuck. How do you find new opportunities and how do you evolve your experience so that you're able to actually go for them? Yeah, I would say, I mean maybe this sounds cliche, but I do think your network is mm-hmm. incredibly important. And and actually, like, I don't know if it's, if it's quite ironic, but I do think my network is as large as it is because of how many times I've switched companies because I keep acquiring new contacts at every company I'm at. And those people are now part of my network. So I kind of like joke that I know people at, you know, every tech company because of how many I've been at at the stage. Um, and then of course people move on and, you know, then they become a contact and a, and a part of your network at a, at a net new company. Um, and, and so I do think network's important. Um, I do think even within your company, network is important. Meeting new people, 
uh, retaining relationships, because if you want to change jobs within your existing um, company, it's important to have people know your work, trust your work, Mm -hmm. believe that you might be doing job A today, but because of your talents and skills and dedication, you could potentially do job B. And I I do find that it's easier to switch job functions within a company than to go net new. Because if I were to, you know, if I had been an event marketer and then tried to get a job as a more traditional marketer in another company, they would have probably looked at my resume and thought it was too niche and that I didn't have the skills. But I switched internally where, again, people could kind of vouch for me. I'm finding this fascinating because I'm, I'm sort of in that space right now, that mental space. Is it more so that you find an opportunity that sounds interesting or you sort of have an internal, oh, I want to do this, this, this type of tasks more and you go searching for those opportunities or maybe both? I would say it's both. I do think right now... Uh, like the the kind of climate in terms of you know the tech industry is such that jobs are limited still I think like they're starting to a little bit is what I'm noticing because I'm I I kind of joke that like I'm on LinkedIn the way other people are on Instagram I'm like I'm not even looking I just love like looking and connecting people anyway so like I see that jobs are coming back but uh but I don't think they're plentiful enough that you you would likely be able to find like the exact dream job you're looking for. And so I I do think it's both. I also am like you where I'm in my early 40s and don't necessarily know what I want to do when I grow up, so to speak. (laughs) But for those who do, and maybe maybe you have an idea of at least what you want to do in five years, if not when you grow up, I once got really what I think is tremendous advice from actually somebody in HR at my very first offsite at this company. And uh, she said, you know, if if you know, let's say that you want to be a CMO in five or 10 years, and to be a CMO, you need an understanding of, let's say, finance, and you don't have that. It's okay to seek out a finance job, even if it's a level below or two levels below, and even if it's you're not that interested necessarily in finance, because you're acquiring that skill through that job. And it's kind of like a building block towards Mm -hmm. what you know you eventually want to do. And I think to do that, you have to have what I don't have, which is really a clear picture of what you want to do in the end, because then it becomes worth it. And it becomes like this, this amazing learning experience. Uh, But even still on a micro level, I try to take that advice uh, into consideration. So, you know, like, the job I'm in today, what can I learn about data and measurement um, that will serve me like really in any job I go to next and trying to seek out learning opportunities just to kind of like, again, create those building blocks for the next thing. If you were to go back into the job market now, would you have an internal checklist of things of, yes, these are my non-negotiables? I think that the people you work with are really paramount to happiness and and also quite frankly success i think i personally want a manager who i can learn from but like more so a manager that will advocate for me i think it's really really important uh in terms of the success you know a team member has at a company i think somewhere where people are really driven uh, mm-hmm. and like want to do good work uh, again like 
when I was in a place where people were a little bit more complacent, it was not as exciting for me. I really want to be surrounded by people who just like want to do awesome things and inspire me to do awesome things. And then, you know, I've thought a lot about compensation kind of coming back to finance too, and how critical that is to me. And I think I have not fully landed on like where, like how I feel about this one. Um, working in tech, I think, you know, I, I definitely earn like a very healthy compensation package. And if you look outside, even within the industry at other companies, it's not always as, as high and like thinking about what do I need? What cuts could I make? How important is it? Kind of like the, the existential balance of, uh, does money equate happiness? Or if a job would make you tremendously happy, would I find a way to kind of do with less comp? So I don't know where that falls on the checklist yet. I want to touch on two points that you mentioned. The first is regarding your manager. When you're going through interviews, I absolutely believe it needs to be an interview on both sides. So the company is interviewing you on, are you a good candidate? But you should actively be interviewing the company. But it's also the case that Interviews are short. How would you suss out this manager is, yes, indeed, one that I can trust and will have my back? So I think it's really tricky. Like you said, I think, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure I've been in situations before where I thought I had a good thing and then arrived and it wasn't, you know, what I believed it would be. Um, and that also goes both ways. I, I've made hires before where it wasn't the best hire because I think the hiring process is really fraught on both ends. You know, it's not a perfect science at all. Uh, And I think as far as finding out about the company and the manager, I do think it's permissible. And I've, I've never done this because I haven't interviewed in a long time at a new company, but I absolutely would now is to ask others, um, ask your, what would be your peer set about their experiences. And you can ask for that meeting like either before or after you've received an offer, you know, like I'd love to get a better, you know, a better pulse on the company culture and this team in particular. Um, you know, can I talk to another one of X managers reports? Um, I think that's a way, you know, I think you can look on Glassdoor and other websites like that all day long, but sometimes companies might have a fabulous review, but not every team within the company functions that way or not every manager does. And so I do think it's critical to kind of understand like the team you are going to be on. That's a great point. The second part that you mentioned was on the salary. I, oh my gosh, Jesse, it's, (laughs) this has been on my mind for such a long time like ambition passion for your career versus just my financial ambitions (laughs) out of curiosity after that lunch milestone you said your uh net worth graph has gone up and to the right is salary still one of your motivating factors i mean it is i think i think it's partially a motivating factor strictly because you know, human beings have, have egos. And I think, I think, you know, it's hard to like have one salary and then have it go down, even though it's a reflection of the company's financials and values, not their value of you necessarily. Um, cause their salaries might be lower altogether. You know, I am a part of mm-hmm. a, a couple where like we are dual income. And so, you know, not only are my own financials in a much better and more stable place, but I have a partner who also contributes to our household. And so I could, you know, technically afford to take a salary cut. And so 
not everybody's necessarily in that scenario. And I absolutely respect that people have mortgages to pay, rent to pay, bills to pay. You know, I heard something the other day on a, on a podcast with Adam Grant and the founder of Whole Foods. And the the founder of Whole Foods, whose name is escaping me, uh, who of course now sold his company to Amazon, was saying, you know, for those in the room who were MBA students, if they don't start their own business like immediately, chances are they're never going to because they're going to go to an Amazon or go to a whatever consulting firm and start earning, you know, six six digit times 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 and find stability and never, you know, go back. Mm. Um, and that really stuck with me because I do think there are probably types of industries, like whether it's nonprofit or education, that I really would have a lot of fulfillment and happiness in. But now um, the the vast um, delta between compensation seems really like a hard a hard bridge to cross back. Or starting my own business seems, you know, financially like stability-wise daunting because I've become comfortable. And so I think sometimes if there is something where you believe that you would have more fulfillment, I think like forcing yourself to take the leap is really crucial. Uh, There was one period in my life, it was actually when I became a freelancer. I had been laid off from a very small company and I never would have become a freelancer just on my own. I wouldn't have quit a full-time job to do that. And I shared with you how amazing that period of my life was. And I got forced into it. And so, you know, the question I ask myself now is like, how can I force myself into an uncomfortable situation, which actually might lead me to far greater fulfillment? I just need to figure out what the thing is that would give me more fulfillment. And then I will figure out how to push myself. This discussion has been amazing. It's been on top of mind. Um, the golden handcuffs are real. <laughs> when I I'm looking at some of the other uh, positions. It's been it's been a real factor. The opportunity looks really interesting, but am I in a financial uh, make that jump? And I mean, one option might be like something that I'm doing with Winnie, having a daytime job and then self funding yourself during the nights and weekends for your startup. But that hasn't been easy either. So yeah, definitely, definitely something that is on top of mind right now. In, yeah. in terms of fulfillment, if we go back to that life graph, would you say it has also been up and to the right? So, I mean, that's a tricky question, right? I would say it's been up and then like, whilst maybe I've had periods of time, like for instance, when I was at that company I described, you know, after Yahoo, my job fulfillment went down. But also the reason it gets tricky is because, and, and well, I'll finish first, like, Job wise, I think it's gone back. I think maybe it's not where it was. However, like I have other factors, right? Like it was, you know, when I was at Spotify that I met my husband, right? And like we got married. And then it was while I was at that company that I really didn't like that I had my kid. So I have other things. And I suppose that's the trick too, right? Is, you know, there's different parts of your life. And so, Yes, I'm in a corporate job um, for the last however many years where perhaps I could have more fulfillment um, starting my own business or, I don't know, becoming a life coach, which is also top of mind for me. But I have other factors and figuring out like how they balance together because I certainly like love being a mom and that's a very stressful, but also fulfilling part of my life too. And you can't, I really am a firm believer in this that you cannot have it all at once. Mm. Um, you can have it all. As a woman who works and perhaps wants to have a family, 
and do whatever else at different points in your life. I hope that that we all can, but I don't think you can do it all together at the same time always. That's a great life lesson. And, 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 and also a reminder, if you don't have everything at once now, it doesn't mean you failed. Right. Not only did you not fail, but it also doesn't mean that you can't have it later. Yes, yes. If we were to just juxtapose your net worth graph onto this, so I guess the top graph is your life fulfillment. The middle graph is your career fulfillment. Yeah. And your net worth graph, if we were to add onto that, how would that look? I would say it's been pretty steadily up. And part of the reason for that is because of the job switching, I would say, uh, you might look at my career history and my job history and also say I was earning too little at the start. Sure. But also every time I switched companies, I I had a huge bump upwards um, that I don't think I necessarily would have experienced. I mean, even at Spotify, which is a tech company and doing really well, I've spoken to peers who are maybe still at Spotify or you know recently left. And because we all started when the company was much smaller, um, I don't believe that their comps ever kind of caught up to like mm-hmm. where the rest of the tech industry might be either that or you know, I can't speak specifically to like Spotify's compensation, you know, practices, but I, I can say that if I were still there, I would probably be earning like, you know, a, a very large percentage less than I am currently. Um, part of that, again, being because of when I started part of it because when you switch companies, you also have an opportunity to reset the level you come in at. Yeah. I have found that within companies, if you come in at a lower level or you come in at like, God forbid, the wrong level, uh, you never really make up for that. Um, you never fully catch up, I should say. And so by moving the way I have, I think my finances have benefited from it. This has been Talk Jam full of goodies. This this is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was awesome to be here and I can't wait to join the community. Everything that you've talked about, it has been top of mind. So it's something that I've personally appreciated as well. Thanks, Jesse. Awesome. Thanks for having me.